Well, good morning. Uh, my, probably my most favorite Sunday of the entire year, and so I know Pastor Dustin just talked about it, but Second Service Kids Program, it, it's worth staying and seeing. Like, I, last year was incredible. Uh, even if, and I'll, I'll preach again next service, and so I, if you stay, you can leave before the sermons. You have to hear me twice. Like, you have my permission to do that. So, uh, but it's, it's incredible. Hey, we are, uh, we are concluding our series, walking through the book of Revelation today, uh, as we are kind of building to the moment uh, in the text that Jesus returns. And that's that's where we're getting to. That's where we're going to get to today. And, and, and just to kind of recap, like we've done, um, I'm not entirely sure what we have done has been super responsible trying to cover Revelation in four weeks, right? Like there's just so much information. Uh, but but, but we're, what we're trying to do is as you all are reading through this book, and I hope you're still kind of kind of charging through that. As you're reading through this book, we wanted to give you at least some frame of reference to be able to process the difficult sections of this text. And it's tough. It is a tough book to process. It is a tough book to, uh, to, to really understand. I think that we could spend two years on it, and I'm not entirely sure like we're ever going to get to a place where we'll know everything or be able to at least definitively say everything about the text. But I, I at least wanted to familiar, I wanted us to be familiarized with it enough to be able to move through it without I think sometimes we're afraid of it, like, because there's so much imagery, and there's so much symbolism, there's so much that we just understand that we just avoid it altogether, and so hopefully we have done that. Um, today, though, I, I, the struggle with, with, as I studied, uh, is that, um, at some point, like, we, we only have 30 minutes, and so I, I came to the conclusion around Wednesday that I can't preach everything, and so I'm just going to try to preach something. And so we'll see kind of what God does with that. So uh, week one, just recap. We talked about how uh, God wins, and we, we moved into kind of the end of the book. We had this beautiful picture of heaven. Uh, week two, we had this amazing vision of what worship was going to be like. We saw John in the throne room and the elders and the angels, and they were worshiping God not because of how they felt, but because of what they know. Last week, we, we had the chalkboard out, and, and we tried to process through the tribulation, some of the difficult sections of the book of Revelation. And this week, uh, again, we, we're going to talk about the return of Christ. Now, I promised last week, or I mentioned, that we would kind of address the rapture. And that was my intent. We were going to talk about what what we believe the Bible says about what happens to the church specifically in the book of Revelation. I'm going to put that on hold, uh, and here's why. As I read, and as I studied, and as I processed, uh, my theology was challenged a little bit. Um, I am, I, I, full disclosure, I moved into this sermon series, and I, I would have identified as someone who was a pre-tribulation rapture Christian. If you're not familiar, uh, that, that we believe that, that at some point Jesus is going to raise up and call up his church, and, and that can happen uh, a couple of different places. The pre-tribulation rapture happens before the tribulation. There is a, a mid-tribulation or a pre-God's wrath rapture that, that is one or two different views of the rapture. And then there's a post-tribulation rapture that it basically says that when Jesus comes, the church is going to be raptured at the same time. So, so anyways, it's a ton of information not super important right now, but the problem is, is that as I read, I was convinced of that position. Then I would read another position, I was convinced of that, and I just got to a place where, like, I'm not prepared to talk about it, nor can I do it in 30 minutes. And, and uh, the team and I spent several hours this week talking about it, and as it turns out, 
within us as a pastoral staff, there are three different views represented. And each of us, I think, makes a valid biblical case for why the, our view of the tribulation, uh, the rapture rather, is accurate. All that to say, uh, we're going to have a class beginning January 11th. And so if this is something that interests you, uh, January 11th, we're going to do a four-week class, the views of the rapture. So it's a Wednesday night, 6.30 to 7.30. And what we're going to do is each staff member, each team member is going to take a turn presenting the view that they most identify with as it pertains to the rapture. And then we're going to allow you guys to decide where you sit after the class. I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, I, I think that we're, I, I'm excited to learn some things. And so uh, mark your calendars rapture class coming up January 11th. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. So we're not going to talk about that a ton today. What we are going to talk about is the second coming of Christ. Jesus talked a lot about his return. It was something that he didn't shy away from, and he, he said over and over again, hey, you need to be ready for my return. You need to be prepared for my return. Hey, I'm coming again. Matthew 16, 27 Jesus said, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and that he will reward each person according to what they have done. If you skip on over to Matthew 24, 27, says, for as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, 44 says, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then perhaps my favorite New Testament verse pertaining to the second coming, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Theologically speaking, there's something that I hope that we can all agree on. Uh, moving aside our views of when the rapture happens, or if, if the millennial is a literal thousand years or a figurative thousand years, like, like we should get to a place where we can all agree that Jesus is coming again. Like, like that, that is indisputable, undebatable. Like, like there will be a time when Jesus comes back to earth. And the book of Revelation in chapter 19 illustrates or begins to give us some, some, some visions or some pictures as to what we might expect when Christ returns. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up with me to Revelation chapter 19. And we're going we're gonna to go through a ton of text today. And I, I, it's going to be okay, I think, but, but I just, just know I, I, couldn't, I couldn't skip some of this. It's just too good. But, but here's, what, here's what John saw. He said, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. This is the second time in the book of Revelation that the doors of heaven have been opened. The first time John was taken into the throne room. The second time here in Revelation chapter 19, he sees something coming out of heaven. And he sees uh, something or a rider on a white horse who is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and rages war. Next slide. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on them that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white 
and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress, or treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God. I'm going to pause here for a second because there, there is a, a ton uh, to to process. Again, John, John is using imagery, symbolism in this revelation to describe what he's seeing. And he says that, that he sees coming out of heaven a rider on a white horse, and he begins to describe who this rider is. Now, now just so you know, like this is, this is Jesus. This is, this is Jesus Christ, and he's returning to earth to, to finish what was set in motion on the cross. And he begins to describe like who it is that he's seeing or how it is that he sees him says that there were names that, that no one knows. I'm going to talk about that for a second. What does it mean that, that no one knows the names but himself? It means that, that there are things about God that are beyond our comprehension, things that we're just not able to process and understand. Whatever you know about Jesus doesn't come close to defining who Jesus is. Like, like as I'm saying again, whatever you think you know or whatever you know about Jesus does not define who Jesus is. And so as he appears for the second time coming down out of heaven, there are parts of him that like, we just like, we can't even comprehend. We can't even process. Verse 15 says, Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. So we sing a song at, at, at the sound of his voice, Demons Run and Flee. Right? Like, th like, that's what we're seeing here. His mouth is a sharp sword. As he comes to strike down evil and the enemies of the church, like, he doesn't have weapons. He doesn't have an arsenal. Like, I think he has an army behind him, but it's, it's for show. Right? Like, he simply speaks, and it is. Like, like by his words— Everything is taken care of. We begin to see kind of mirroring what happened in creation. Genesis chapters 1 and following, and God said, and then it was, and God said, and it was, and God said, and it was. Here at the end of time, it's much of the same. And Jesus said, and it was. He begins to set up for a battle between Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. It's, again, not much of a battle because he simply speaks, and it is. Revelation chapter 19, verse 19 says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. So Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're gearing up. They're, they're going to they're gonna try to resist this new rider on a white horse. Verse 20 says, But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two were thrown alive into a fiery lake of burn, burning sulfur. And so the, the Antichrist, the beast false prophet, and eventually here's Satan, they, they gear up for a battle against Jesus. And it wasn't much of a battle at all. It says that they were deceived. They had used signs to deceive uh, or, or to deluded those who received the mark of the beast. And so, so, so <laughs> it is so important that as we read through God's word, that, that we understand, like, like there, there's a reason behind it. 
that there's going to be a day, and I, I would argue that we're, we live in a similar day where deception is rampant, where people teach false doctrines, where, where, where in the name of God, right, that, that people teach, they show, they try things, and, and they're going to be deceived, right? It, that's what's happening at the end of times. People were, were tricked. The false prophet did signs. The Antichrist deceived, tricked, manipulated the truth. It's why we have to be consumers of God's word. It's not enough for us to just look at it. We have to, we have to consume it. Verse 21 says, The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. Again, he speaks, and it is. And all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. So Jesus comes in a cloud of glory. He takes care of business. And then we move into Revelation chapter 20, uh, and, and Jesus establishes his millennial kingdom. And this is a conversation for another day because there's, again, there's varying views on what this means and what it doesn't mean. I want to skip over to Revelation chapter 20. Actually, we'll skip down past millennium to verse 11. And this, this is very small. Goodness, that's on me. I created these. Sorry about that. Um, this is perhaps the most difficult piece of maybe all the scripture that we have to process. So after Jesus comes and he establishes his millennial kingdom, uh, the, the, the church is, is, is called to rule with him. It's called the first resurrection. And John writes that, that, that those who are a part of the first resurrection, like they're blessed. Well, we get to this second resurrection, and the story's a little bit different. It says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his pre presence, and there was no place for them. So, so the throne of judgment, this great white throne comes, and people, they're, they're scattering. They're trying to hide. But because God is omni-everything, there's no place to hide. John says he saw the dead, great and small. I'll come back to that in a second. Standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. I believe both good and bad. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and this is perhaps the most important verse in this entire section. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The first resurrection for the church was for eternal glory, and we'll talk about that starting January 11th. The second is not. So John wrote that he saw the dead, great and small. I want to talk about that for just a second. Kings and peasants. Rich and poor are raised surrounding the great throne. Each person judged according to what he or she had done. There's going to be a vast array of people lined up as this scene unfolds. 
as I was studying this week, one commentator wrote that there were going to be a lot of religious people around the throne. There's going to be, there's going to be people that, 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 do, that have done some really bad things. Like, make no mistake, like, like surrounding this throne of judgment, uh, there, there are going to be murderers and rapists and thieves, like, like the worst of the worst, the scum of the earth. But I also believe that there are going to be mixed in with that group people that would have identified as religious people. People that probably did some really good things. People that by our definition were probably really nice and kind. There's going to be people that maybe even attended church every week. There are going to be people who, who, who knew a ton of information about Jesus. I believe there are going to be people that can quote scripture. But everyone around the throne, everyone gathered around awaiting judgment is going to have one thing in common. Their name isn't found in the book of life. Jesus references that. It's this book that holds a list of names. Identifies those who have who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have, who have confessed their sins, who have repented, and who have asked Jesus to forgive them, who have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's what gets your name in the book. And that, as it turns out, is the only thing that's going to be of use during this moment in time. We try to define what, like, like there's, there's so much going on in the book of Revelation. Like, like what is it that we take away? Like, like, what is it, like, like, there's, from Revelation chapter 1 until this moment here, and, and, and on through Revelation chapter 22, that there is a common theme that I want to make sure that we walk away with. And it might be the most important thing that you have ever heard, so please, listen up. But Jesus is enough. Like, like the theme of this book is the sufficiency of Christ. Like that's it. Like it doesn't matter what you understand or what you don't understand. Like this book lays out is, <laughs> I was gonna say in black and white. I'm not entirely sure it's in black and white because a lot of parts are confusing, but, but it's that, that Jesus is enough, that he is sufficient. He was sufficient at the beginning of this story to open the scroll. He is sufficient at the end of the story to judge righteously. Like he's enough. He's all you need. And if, you, and if we can't understand exactly how this lays out, it doesn't matter because Jesus is enough. Like, if I can't get to a place where, where okay, am I post-trib rapture? Am I mid? It, it, Jesus is enough. He's everything. This book, over and over and over again, illustrates the sufficiency of Christ. The moment I begin or I begin to talk or think about my faith in the first person, I get it wrong. I am, or I did, or I have. 
over and over and over again, we see in this book that he did, that he is, and that he has. That's the story of Revelation. When you get past the scary parts, when you get past the pieces that you don't understand, you see that he's sufficient, he's enough, he's all I need. He's enough because he's worthy. He's worthy to open the scroll. He's worthy to defeat the enemy. He was worthy to judge. And he's worthy to call us into eternity with him. I know I talked about Revelation chapter 21 at the beginning of this um, sermon series, but I can't, I can't overlook it because it's, it, this is where it gets really good. Those whose name were found in the book of life find themselves in a pretty incredible situation. We're in the presence of Jesus and God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's all there. And those who had accepted Jesus Christ, those whose name was written in the book of life by the blood of the Lamb, by the way, it's not a name that you put in yourself. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus writes our names in there with his blood. They find themselves in the presence of God, and then, and then we see this, this new heaven and new earth. So, so after the wrath of God comes the rescue, and he begins to recreate everything that was broken by the stain of sin, and, and which, you know, we look around what's happening here in this world, like we look, even like the, the beauty of, of Wyoming, like I, this is incredible, but it still reflects the brokenness of sin, and so God comes, and he's like, I'm going to fix it. And John says he saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And he says that, there, that there's this, this moment in time when everything bad in the world, is, it ceased to exist. That there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the former things have passed away. Like it's perfect. And he says in Revelation chapter 22 that like, like, like the, the, the great city, like it's, it's, it, it's beyond comprehension. Since there's no night anymore, there's no sun or moon, it's just simply God's love, God's light radiating and illuminating everything. And then he ends, and this is where I will conclude with yet further illustration that Jesus is enough. Jesus says, look, I am I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of these prophecies written in the scroll. He says, if you, if, you could just, if you could just consume this, he says, he says you're going to be blessed. And Jesus says again, down in verse 12, he says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Revelation 22, 20 says this. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. As I finished my study, um, in my, my study Bible that I, I write in. I was overcome and overwhelmed with emotion, the possibility and the anticipation of the arrival of Christ. 
and I, and I wrote in red pen, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. The hope of the gospel message is laid out here for us. It's why we celebrate Christmas the way we do. Like, like Christmas for us is the start of this story, right? Where God sends his son to start the process. And I believe wholeheartedly that he is coming soon. My question, my question for you is are you ready? I'm going to invite the, the worship band back up. And we're going to sing, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And we, we've really tried to be intentional about worship specifically during this series because I think it's important to respond. And, and so I, I want to just, same as last week, the stage is going to become an altar. And so if you want to come and pray, pray. It might be awkward at first, but I promise you, you won't be alone. You will immediately be surrounded. If you want to spend some time praying with me or Pastor Dustin, we'll be on the sides. Uh, come, pray with us. Maybe, maybe today is a day where you say, you know what? Like, like, I'm ready to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I love this story, and I want it to be my story. I want my name in the book of life. If that's you, come forward and talk to us. We'll walk you through that process. Let's stand and sing one more time.